going to read this morning from the letter of Hebrews, uh, basically the text will be Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 3, but I'm just going to read just a, a verse or two from Hebrews 11 uh, before we, and then we'll sing a song before we come to God's words. Okay. Hebrews 11 uh, chapter, uh, sorry, verse 1, very well known sort of definition of faith. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings and by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then as we go through the rest of chapter 11, probably well-known verses to you, you have these Old Testament characters held up as exemplars of faith. And the very well-known ones, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Noah and then David and Samson and other nameless ones. It's a chapter about the heroes, as it were, of faith. And then we go straight into chapter 12. And probably one of the worst divisions in the New Testament, because you know the chapter divisions were added later, because really 12.1 is an integral part of chapter 11, this whole chapter of faith. Romans 12, chapter 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those people in chapter 11, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary or lose hearts. Before we come to God's word, we'll do just what the writer there says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, and we'll stand and to sing, Jesus, what a beautiful name, Son of God, Son of Man, Lamb that was slain. It's song 998 in Mission Praise, and we'll stand as we sing. You might have noticed me straining there. It's, if I put the mask on, I can't. My glasses all steam up and I can't see any. I take my glasses off and I can't see the book. So I had to sort of lift the book up there. Uh, but never mind. It ties in actually with my opening. <laughs> you get to middle age, these things happen. Um, Hebrews, uh, someone once said Hebrews is, is a book for the spiritually middle-aged. And when you think of middle-aged, words maybe in terms of, of flabby or, or saggy tend to come to mind, more common types of language used. Someone said, middle age is when your age starts to show in your middle. Well, <laughs> certainly, I have to confess, yes. Um, but it's, it's a time in life when we perhaps 
become more aware of our, our aging. And it's easier to feel a bit tired and weary. And certainly, if, if, if like us, you have your grandchildren for one day, middle ages, when you discover it takes you a day or two to actually recover from having them in the house. So watch out, Elizabeth. Don't volunteer too much for babysitting. But you get to that age, and, and the writers writing to a Christian community, a fairly mature Christian community, it wasn't by any means a brand new church or Christian community, who had earlier in their life, and indeed ongoing, had faced opposition and persecution and a lot of difficulty in following Jesus. And yet they did so with, with real joy, when you read the letter, and steadfastness and commitment. And in a sense, their life together as Christians was still fairly difficult, but the writer now is concerned, and he's writing to encourage them. He's concerned because it appears to be some of them were perhaps wearying of following Christ, finding it hard going, maybe beginning to, to tire of this life, and starting to wander and meander their way away from Christ and probably back to their original Jewish faith, most likely. Back to their old life where they thought things would perhaps be a bit easier. And I wonder if you're here this morning and maybe you feel, if you're here in the church or you're watching online, I wonder if you feel at all like that in your hearts feel a little bit tired through lockdown and all the regulations, restrictions, and everything that's happened over the last year and a half, and we find ourselves beginning to weary, perhaps, in our commitment to Christ and the Christian faith, feeling a wee bit tired with it all, tempted, perhaps, to give up. If you're not there today, then praise God, and please keep listening, because we'll probably get there at some point in your life at some stage. And here in these words, the, the writer gives just warm words of encouragement for these Christians and for all of us. This is really his passion in the letter. This is really, I feel, the letter really can be regarded as one big sermon. And it's been building up to this point where he's going to encourage them to keep going. Don't quit, he says, until the race is over. And he uses that image, doesn't he? Very well-known image of the Christian life. It's one image amongst many in the New Testament that you're a Christian, you're an athlete, and you're running a race. And the emphasis in this race is not on winning and pushing everybody out of the way to get there first. The emphasis in the New Testament in running the race is simply with finishing and completing the race that God has for you. And when we think about this race, of course, it, it's, a, it's a lifelong race. It's not a 100-meter dash, and then it's over. It's a lifelong race that can be hard and requires exertion, a race that can cause us to tire and to feel exhausted, a race that can give us many opportunities, perhaps, to feel tempted to sort of cop out and to sit down and, and retire from the race and to give up. And that's why we need this encouragement for all of us. 
And we need to be encouraged to, to keep going because as the writer points out, the prize at the end is far better than any t-shirt at the end of a marathon or any medal when you cross the line. The prize is Christ himself. So three, in a sense, encouragements the writer gives us to keep going in this race. We've got the, the cloud of witnesses that he highlights. Then he gives us some tips for running the actual race, how you should run. And then, of course, he gives us the supreme example of Jesus himself. He speaks of these cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in the light of these cloud of witnesses, we have to run the race. And the, the picture's quite simple there, isn't it? Of a racetrack, of running the, the games, and if you like, the stanchions round about, and the crowds are there, and they're watching, and they're cheering, cheering us on. And the cloud of witnesses are highlighted in chapter 11. Chapter 11, we get those lists of the heroes of faith. And that faith is defined in verse 1 in chapter 11, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's all very nice, but what does that actually look like and feel like and how can you touch that faith? What does that mean? And so he paints the picture. He fleshes it out. Out of all this big cloud of witnesses, as it were, he homes in. I don't know if you watched the tennis in the Arthur Ashe Stadium a couple of weeks ago. I've forgotten the girl's name. You all know her, Emma, Super Emma, who's fabulous, wonderful, brilliant. Uh, and then that final, and I noticed that what they do, and they do it in every tennis match, they home in on the crowd, don't they? They home in on the faces, they home in, especially, and I noticed it on the, the other girl, Layla, they homed in a lot on her mother and her sister, and they were on their feet, and they were punching their fists, really encouraging her to keep going, and that's what happens. In a sense, the writer of Hebrews is doing that. He's homing in on some very well-known faces. Faces who are there supporting and cheering us on. But they're not just fans. These are people who are very knowledgeable. Because these are people who have actually been athletes. These are people who have actually ran their race. And finished their race. These are people who have ran the race of faith. And they're not simply watching in the stands. Watching you and I running a race as it were. The picture is here they're offering. They're talking to us. And they're witnessing to us through their lives. And they're telling us, look, I've ran the race. We've completed this race. God has been faithful. We've done it. How about you? You can run your race. You can trust God to be faithful for you as well. Now, sometimes you might feel a bit intimidated. Sometimes people look at these names and go, boy, well, Abraham, Moses, you know, uh, Noah, building an ark in dry land, King David, all these heroes. I don't know if I can really identify with them. What have they got to say to me about faith? They lived in a totally different culture, a different world from us. How can they encourage me in my life today? Their culture might be very different. What they were asked to do by God is probably certainly very different from what we're asked to do by God. But what doesn't change is they ran the race with faith, but a faith that was mixed with failure and frailty 
and sin. They were human beings just like you and I. And when you look at the list, you've got Noah, wonderful man, bit of a drunk sometimes. You read the stories. Abraham occasionally told the odd fib, the odd lie. Sometimes decided to take things into his own hand to hurry up God's plans because he couldn't wait that long. Jacob, would you buy a car off Jacob? I would doubt it. You know, twisted as a corkscrew. David, adulterer. Samson, well, read the story of Samson <laughs> and you'll find out what sort of guy he was. Yet they all ran the race. All at times fell down. All at times failed. All at times stumbled. And some of them took quite a long time to actually get back up on their feet and back into the race. But they got there. They stayed in the race. They completed their course. And that's what they're saying to us. We've done it. God's been faithful. So can you. So don't quit until the race is over. And you know, as, as I was writing this, I was thinking back to my own witnesses. I had people in my mind, came to mind. People who have now sadly passed on. Not sad, sadly for me, not sad for them. <laughs> people from my church when I was younger who were youth leaders, were, were, just, were leaders in the church, were just there. People who lived out their faith, who inspired me and encouraged me in my faith by the way they lived out their faith and the things that they said. And people who at times had horrendous circumstances in their life, and yet I can still see them. And, and they kept going. A real inspiration. And maybe you've got people in your mind. Maybe it's a minister, a previous minister, or somebody who's involved in the BB at youth, or a friend or a family member who've now passed on. But they witness to you something of the glory of the life of faith and what it means to keep going and trusting God at all times and staying and completing the race. So be encouraged by these cloud of witnesses in your mind. Don't quit. That's what they're saying. Don't quit until the race is over. But the writer also then gives us, he gives us a few wee rules, if it were, for running. And the first one, I'm going, I'm going to call this uh, running faith. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And it's a well-known picture, isn't it, of the athlete getting ready for the start of the race, taking off everything, stripping down to the bare minimum that they would need in order to run this race, being appropriately dressed. You wouldn't imagine an athlete coming out in his duffel on his wellies. He's not going to go very far. It's not going to go very fast. It's about being dressed appropriately for running the race with Jesus. He says, cast off everything and anything that would hold you back, that would drag you down, that would cause you to fall in your race for Christ. And it was one writer that noticed this, and I picked up on this, and I'm going to home in on this. He says, Cast off everything that hinders and this sin 
that so easily entangles. And the writer speaks to me, it seems here, about a specific sin, although it's unnamed. And if you look in the whole context of the book of Hebrews, the theme is really quite clear. And it's repeated time and time again. There is a sin that the writer's worried about that these Christians are going to fall into, and that is they're going to turn their back, they're going to stop following Christ, and they're going to drift into unbelief. And that's the sin throughout the book of Hebrews that the writer is encouraging these people to draw back from and to rejoin that race of faith rather than unbelief. Because that's what the ancients were commended for, wasn't it? It was living and running a race of faith. That's what it's all about, running in faith. Believing God and trusting God for everything. That's what Abraham was commended for, wasn't it? He was told, I want you to leave your home, your security, that land of that place that you enjoy so much, and I want you to go somewhere else. And Abraham set off without knowing where he was going. An example of faith there. Abraham didn't have a destination. He didn't know the final outcome. All he knew was God had spoken to him and he had to take that step, trusting that God would fulfill his promise for him. And it was hard and it was difficult. And I'm sure Abraham had many questions. Where on earth are we going? He certainly had many questions about how he was going to be a father of a nation. I mean, he was well past it at his age, the time God spoke to him. I mean, 75. He said, you're going to be the father of a huge nation. And he must have went with questions, but he went. And the race that God had marked out for him. And sometimes it's hard and it's a danger for all of us. Especially if we've got questions about what's going on in our life at the moment that we begin to, to drift towards unbelief. And it's not something that happens very rarely like that. It tends to happen through time. And it begins to seep into our life a wee bit and it creeps up on us. And we just feel ourselves drawing back as some people were doing in this letter, they were drawing back from the teachings of Christ. They were maybe not coming to the fellowship meeting quite as often. That's mentioned in the letter as well. They were neglecting to meet with other Christians. And just pulling back from their commitment to Christ, pulling back the, in their commitment to the community of Christ, and beginning to drift in their trust of Jesus. And it's easy for all of us to do and the writer's writing here to encourage us look keep going in faith the race you run is to be a faith marked race and if we're going to be a faith people as individuals and a faith church even it means living with unanswered questions it means we don't have all the answers all the time it means going forward sometimes without really knowing where we're going but going trusting in God's promise and God's faithfulness. Trusting that God will lead us where his grace, as one writer says, will always keep us. So he encourages us to walk and to run with faith. And then he says, if you're going to run with faith, you also have to run with perseverance. That's obviously the key issue here. Keep moving forward above everything else. Keep going. Don't give up. 
I've never ran a marathon. I don't know if some people have. I don't know the background. I know I see some people out running sometimes. I'm about Uddingston. I don't know if you've ever been in a marathon. But I do know and I've read about and heard about, heard about this wall, this famous wall that you hit when you're doing a long-distance run. And I think it's when your body's basically sensing it's out of fuel. And then your brain kicks in. I don't understand the technical details. Your brain kicks in and you almost get a wee voice in your head saying, that's it, give up. You're finished. You're done. You're empty. <laughs> Just stop. But you can actually dig deeper and keep going through that and then carry on. I think, to be honest, if I had to run for the bus quickly, I think I would hit the wall, let alone go for a marathon <laughs> uh, at my stage of life. I have to say that. But it's about persevering and keeping going. That's what this writer is encouraging us to do. Whatever you do, by all means, he says, keep moving. I don't know, some of you may know the athlete's verse in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah writes, he says, he gives strength to the weary, he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not be faint. If you've got the wings of the eagle this morning and you're flying high in your Christian faith, then fantastic. God bless you, you'll be flying, it's all smooth, it's great. Maybe you're able to run, like these young people in Isaiah 40, maybe you're still able to give it a good go and you're going strong, or maybe you're slowing up a wee bit, just down to a gentle jog. Maybe you're just down to a walk in your walk with Christ. Maybe it's even just a stagger. <laughs> and what the writer would say to us is, if you can fly, fly. If you can run, run. If you can walk, walk. If you can stagger, stagger. If you're hanging on by your fingernails and all you can do is crawl forward, then do that. But by all means and in every way, he says, keep going. Stay in the race. Don't quit until the race is over. And then very quickly he mentions, I'll just call it contentment. You have to run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. He says for us, so he's included himself, so everybody's involved. We're all running, in a sense, alongside each other. We're all running together as a group, helping and supporting each other, but what the writer says, you've got a race marked out for you. And you, and you, and you. We all have an individual race, as he says. It's marked out for us, and we have to run it. Because sometimes it's very tempting to look at another lane. That lane's a bit sunny around. That lane looks a bit easier. I wish I was over in that lane and not stuck in this dull one. I've got lots of boulders in my lane. A bit of a problem, this lane. It's going to really slow me down. Easier to fall in my lane. I wish I was running in that lane. What the writer says is, no, we need to accept and we need to run the race that God has marked out for you. We're all different. We've all got different stories. We've all got different characters. We all have different backgrounds. We're all in different stages of life, different conditions of health. We've all got different callings. We've all got different gifts. And God perhaps asks different things from all of us. An important thing 
the writer says, as you run the race, is to come to terms and accept that this is your race today. Wherever you are, whatever your circumstances are, this is the race marked out for you. And to run that race, because no one else can run it. If you don't run it, the church is not going to collapse. Kingdom of God's not going to disappear. But you might miss out on something meaningful and purposeful and good that God has for your life. Your race may change as you get older in terms of what you're asked to do in the race and your lane. But only you can run the race that God has marked out for you. So run that race. Don't quit until the race is over. But also be encouraged because he gives us this supreme example, doesn't he, in these verses of Jesus. Here is the model athlete. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's asking us to fix our eyes and focus on Jesus. To home in on Jesus, not to be distracted by who's behind us, all these saints, wonderful as they are, maybe not even looking around at all the wonderful people in the church who encourage us and help us, that's wonderful. But what he says, if you're going to look in one direction, the direction you look at is Jesus. You fix your eyes, and it's the image, of course, of the athlete, isn't it? Focusing their eyes on that line. Lynn was telling me a story, even just, just this morning, I'd forgotten about it. Her daughter Fiona, when she was at the grammar school, I think she was in S1, and she was down at the, used to have the, old, the football pitches down there for their, their sports days. And uh, Lynn went down to watch her and she was running. It was the 100 metres. And she was quite quick when she was young at that age. And Lynn said she was in, she was in the lead. And she had a whole bunch of friends standing with 20, 30 yards of light, all shouting and screaming on her. And she goes, she just sort of slowed down and looked over and waved to them. And Lynn's, my wife's quite competitive. She was going a bit berserk at this no that's not what you do and of course somebody else came over and she was left behind because she took her eye off the line and really that's what the writer's saying fix your eyes on Jesus he's the one who's ran that race perfectly he's the one who endured the cross and scorned its shame and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. The one who completed that act of entonement. The high priest who offered up not silver or gold, not a lamb, but the high priest who offered his very own life so that we could be forgiven, so that we could take our place in the race at the very start. And he ran it, as it were, in our shoes. So he can inspire us when you're feeling tired and weary, fix your eyes upon Jesus. He knows what that's like. He's lived a life as a human being. When you're perplexed and you're wondering, where is God? Why is God letting this happen in my life? What's going on at the moment? Fix your eyes upon Jesus, who on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you're finding it hard going at the minute, just following Jesus and, and obeying him, fix your eyes on Jesus. Who in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. I would rather go a different way. Struggling to go down the path that God had for him. When you're disappointed, maybe feeling a bit hurt, 
let down by other people, other Christians, perhaps in the church, part of the family. Maybe you're thinking, oh, what's the point? Fix your eyes on Jesus, who knew what it was to be betrayed, to be denied. And they all scattered when he hung there on the cross, deserted by his friends and followers. But of course, Jesus is much more than an inspiration. And this is the crucial difference between Jesus and chapter 11. All of these Old Testament saints, they're wonderful. You can read them. You can be encouraged by them. You can be inspired by them. But Jesus is the only one who can actually strengthen you and enable you and empower you to run that race. Because we're not asked to run it in our own strength, but in the strength that he supplies. He's the perfecter, the finisher, the one who enables us and strengthens us. He's not in the crowd shouting at us, cheering us on. He's not at the finishing level. He will be at the finishing line, but he's not just standing there saying, come on, you can do it. Sure, many of you remember the Brownlee brothers, Alistair and John, the triathlon runners in 2016. Very well-known image. 2016, they were in Mexico taking part in the World Triathlon Series. And Johnny, I think, was the one who was, I hope I get this right, I'm sure it's Johnny was the one who was running in the lead. And he got to doing the, the 10K run. And as he got, I think, a couple of kilometers before the final whistle, you see the image of him. I still see it on the television. It's like a puppet. The strings had been cut. The legs were, you know, and he was all over the place. His legs were like jelly, bending in every sort of angle. And he was running across. And next thing you saw his brother, who was pounding up behind him. Easy just to overtake him. <laughs> See, tough luck, pal. And as Johnny just sort of stops, his brother Alistair comes up arm round the shoulder, arm round the waist, and the two of them. At this time, of course, the South African runner was away past and he'd won the race. But it wasn't about winning. And he got to the line together, supporting his brother. And he got to the line, and you see, he just pushed his brother over the line. And his brother collapsed, exhausted. But he finished the race with the help of his brother. And we will finish the race not just by looking at Jesus as an inspiration, but by trusting in him for his power and his strength. And as the writer of Hebrews told us, his mercy and grace, which is there for us to help us in our time of need. So don't quit till the race is over. Jesus ran his race because of the joy, we're told, set before him. The joy of obeying his father, the joy of completing that mission, the joy of his exaltation and returning to glory, the joy of, of bringing sons and daughters to salvation. And we also run the race for the joy that is set before us. We too look forward to that time when we cross the line, no matter how tired, how exhausted we may feel. That joy will eclipse all the difficulties, all the pain, all the suffering that we might have had to go through. And we look forward to that prize, the prize of Christ himself. So this morning, all these witnesses, we read about Hebrews 11, 
The witnesses in your own mind, the people who have gone for you now, who have been such an influence in your Christian life, that Jesus himself says, keep going. Fix your eyes on me. It will be worth it. Don't quit till the race is over. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word and what your word reveals afresh to us today, reminding us again of what you've done for us in running that perfect race. We thank you that as the author of our faith, you finished your race and you went to that cross and there you wore our sins upon your body. And there you bore the price of our sins so that we could be forgiven. Lord, this morning you know each and every one of us, whether we're young or whether we're old, you know where we are in our Christian race. You know those of us that are running strongly, those of us are feeling perhaps a bit weary and weak and maybe tempted to think, is it really worth it? And we hear again your encouragement from those witnesses in the crowd, but also from you, Lord Jesus, the one who didn't quit. We admit we need your life and your energy, your grace, for the race marked out for us, for the race that you have called each of us to run today, right now. And so we ask that you would help us to run our race with faith, a renewed sense of purpose and with a joy in our hearts. May we run for you and be amazed again at how you can use each of us, each and every one of us, for the sake of your gospel and for the sake of your kingdom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, we'll stand and sing. It's an older hymn. Some of you probably might be able to guess the hymn. Uh, Fight the good fight with all of thy might. Christ is thy strength and Christ thy right. Run the straight race through God's good grace. Lift up thine eyes and seek his face. We'll stand as we sing. And now may the all-sufficient grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the steadfast love of God our Father, and the fellowship and the presence of the Holy Spirit be in each of our lives now and forevermore. Amen.